0: It's a lot easier being out here. Whenever I have my little like shield and drum kit to hide behind. <coughs> okay. So this, so this is Ephesians six uh, five through bedroom. Bond servants obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Service with a good will, that's to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this you will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or a free. Masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Thank you, Ian. I appreciate you taking that giant leap of faith and coming out from behind the uh the drum kit, um, but he's a man of many talents <laughs> um, Good morning, welcome um, my name's Tim for those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the elders here, and uh get to come up here every now and then um and teach and it's something. I love to do, um, although it's something I'm still learning and growing at. So, I appreciate your uh, patience and willingness to grow with me. Um, I was told before coming up here that I should apologize for the coffee. I uh, no better than to trifle with that. I, I did not partake myself, um, but. I understand how important coffee is, and as we're going to be talking about <laughs> some hard things today, uh, about suffering and uh, uh, injustice, uh, perhaps uh, I'm just going to chalk it up to, to God kind of priming the pump for us here today. So if you're suffering uh, with coffee, uh, take heart. Uh, God loves you and is sovereign overall. Um Last time I was up here, uh, about a month ago, uh, I got to teach on, on putting off the, the old self and embracing our, our new identities as, as sons and daughters of the king. Um, and, and judging by the, the feedback I got, one of the more memorable parts was talking about Forky uh, from Toy Story 4 and his, his struggle for turning away from his, his former identity of, of trash and, and coming to grips with his new identity as a toy with, with dignity and worth. Um, I, I just want to say up front today i i, I don 't have any cute cartoons to, to show today uh, there's no clever movie illustrations today 's passage is a is a heavy one uh, and if we 're being honest, we have to acknowledge that, that today 's passage has been grievously misunderstood and, and misused historically with vile and, and horrendous consequences um, and uh what, what do you even just read? Did that translation use bondservant? Um, maybe the more accurate and better way of understanding that slavery. Um, and that's what I'm talking about, slavery. Th- this passage is, is dealing with, with, with slaves and Paul's addressing slaves. Now, it'd be easy for me to just get up here I- 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 and say that no rational or reasonable person in modern times believes that slavery is acceptable. And let's just chalk it up to, to outdated language and, and focus just on how we can apply the, the principles of the passage uh, to, to modern times. I don't want to do that. Um, I agree that the Bible is not pro-slavery, uh, spoiler alert. Um, we most definitely will talk about application I- to modern day times and, and, and drawing out those principles. But um, I do think it's important not to, to skip ahead too fast. We want to grapple with, with hard passages and not just avert our eyes. Uh, it, and something occurred to me as I was preparing this message. Um, anyone who's spent almost any amount of time in or around churches doubtlessly has been told how important it is to read the Bible. And that's good advice. <laughs> uh, I, I would say the exact same thing the Bible is, is God's revealed word to his people. Um, It's his gift. It's his provision. It's his story. And we cannot possibly hope to to grow uh, and understand who we are and who God is and what his plans are um, in all of this kind of mess that we call life uh, without the Bible. Um, I'm not saying anything I imagine you haven't heard uh, a million times. But in all of that, how often do we hear instruction on how to read the Bible? that might sound odd to you. What do you mean how to read the Bible? I just, I I open up, there's words, I read words, right? Simple, right? I read, I know how to read. Um, and that's, sure, (laughs) okay, it's not less than that. Um, but there are some principles we need to hold on to if we're going to read the Bible for all that it's worth. Um, this is a big topic, uh, biblical interpretation. There's, there's books written about it. There's entire classes that, that can be taught about it. And I can't devote all the time that I would want to devote on this very important topic uh, as much as I would like to. Um, there are some wonderful books written on the subject, and I'm happy to, to pass along recommendations if you want to track me down uh, afterwards. But for the, princ- for the, for the purposes of, of where I am today and, and, and what we're going to be doing uh, up front here, um, I want to highlight just two sort of main general principles um, when it comes to not just reading the Bible, but but how to read the Bible, how to read the Bible with an eye towards accuracy, towards understanding, towards depth, towards uncovering all of those riches that that are there. Um, and so the, the first principle right now, we need to understand the historical and cultural context of a particular passage in the Bible. Um, this is important because, cultures change. Uh, The Bible isn't some massive instruction book that God just kind of lowered from the sky and just put here for his people to see. It's uh, the books of the Bible, under inspiration from the Holy Spirit, they were written to specific audiences um, at the time that they were written. To understand the particular passage, we need to do our best as modern readers, to put ourselves in the place of the original intended audience. We need to do that so we can best understand the original meaning as the original hearers would have understood it. Um, you can hopefully see why this is important with a topic like slavery. Uh, our modern eyes see the word slavery and we immediately think, uh, I would venture a guess, we immediately think of the, the, the African slave, <laughs> Slavery of the tyranny of the lost, but a secondary thing. Uh, the, the African slave trade uh, from this country, spanning from the, the 1600s to the 1800s. Anyone who, who grew up in, in history class and, and we're still dealing with the after effects in a very real way today. Um, so we, we see that word slave and, and we kind of bring in all of that background as we're reading that passage or that, that word in scripture. Um, But if we're to know what Paul means in the passage and how the original hearers in the Ephesian church would have understood the term, we need to to do some work and understand what slavery was like 2,000 years ago in the Roman world. The second principle that that I want to lay out, um, we need to understand a particular passage in its biblical context. Okay, Books of the Bible, they're continuous thoughts that, that builds and progress throughout the books, right? So Paul's writing like I- in Ephesians, he's writing a letter to the church and he's building uh, his, his argument. He's building his thought process. He's laying a foundation and then building on that and then building on that and then building on that. It's all connected. Um, and then that's within a, a particular book. All the books of the Bible taken together work together despite the fact that they were different books written by different people at different times to different audiences, collectively, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they serve to, to, to put forth God's overarching plan for humanity, for, for his plan. Um, and you, you've probably heard this before and it, it, it can always bear repeating, right? The, the overarching plot line of the Bible is, is creation. We start with, with God as creator, right? And then sin enters the world. Fall happens, and, and as sin enters the world, um, there becomes a need for redemption, right? and, and we can see all throughout the Old Testament that Israel's attempts as God's people to try to be redeemed, right? And, and then there's all these ups and downs and all of these uh, consequences, but ultimately, we reach Christ, and we reach church, and we have God's people. He's gathering a people to himself. So creation, fall, redemption, and we know the end of the story. That's the unique thing about the Christian faith. We, we, we know the end of the story, that one day Christ will return, that sin, death, and evil will be defeated, and that God's people will, will get to, to reign in, in this new creation, right? And there will be no more tears and sadness, right? That's the end of the story, and that's the overall plot line of the Bible. So if we're not careful, um, we can pluck verses out of its historical context, and we can pluck verses and passages of their biblical context and we can see and understand them in ways that are, are not the way that they were intended okay so historical and cultural context and then biblical context um, and so believe me the <laughs> there's much much more I, I wish i could say and there is much more to be um, learned and understood on, on biblical atten- uh, interpretation but we need to keep moving um, so for the rest of my time up here i'm going to give you the roadmap. Okay, we're going to, one, we're going to examine and go through that that, that historical and cultural context to help us understand what Paul means in this passage that that Ian read earlier. Uh, Number two, we're going to touch on the biblical context. We're going to look at how Paul's building and progressing his thoughts um, uh, to his letter to the Ephesian church and how it plugs into the overall storyline of Scripture. And then third... Armed with this context, we're going to look at these verses and we're going to understand and hopefully in a deeper, more accurate way what Paul means in his instruction. And then finally, we're going to look at what's gleaned from these verses and how it's applicable to our lives today, right? It's not just, you know, 2,000 years ago in the Ephesian church. There are things for us to to learn and and be confronted by and grow in um, today in the church. Um, Does that sound good? Alright, alright, I feel like I'm talking too fast, I'm trying to slow down. Um, <laughs> number one, the historical context. Uh, I mentioned earlier uh, how we hear the word slavery and tend to immediately think uh, of the history of slavery in this country. Um, in, in slavery in this form, it was, it was race-based, it was lifelong, and it was based on, on, on kidnapping. Um, all awful things. Slavery in Paul's time, and this isn't saying, yay, slavery in Paul's time, uh, but it was different. Uh, Slavery in Paul's time was not race-based and it was seldom lifelong. It was closer to to that idea of indentured servitude where where a slave would be a slave for a period of time and then would either earn their way or for a variety of ways, eventually move to a a place of freedom. Um, Not to say it was pleasant, but it's different, okay? Um and it was an accepted part of the ancient world that just it wasn't questioned. Um it was pervasive all across ancient peoples and in the ancient world. Um Aristotle even said um a slave uh is a living tool, just as a tool is an inanimate slave. Okay, so it was just an accepted piece and, and slaves were um not afforded the, the dignity and humanity of, of a being actual people. Um There were an estimated 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire um, and the best estimates are that slaves constituted approximately one-third of the population in Ephesus at the time that Paul was writing. Um, They constituted the the workforce and um, involved not just kind of backbreaking manual labor and and sort of domestic workers and and sort of maids or, or kitchen workers. Uh, It also included educated workers, um, doctors and teachers and administrators could be slaves and were slaves back in the ancient times. Um, They could be purchased, they could be traded, they could be inherited, um, and they had very limited rights and were seen as as subhuman, uh, as I said, essentially living tools. Um, From a historical perspective, the fact that Paul would go out of his way to actually directly address slaves in his letter to the Ephesian church was mind blowing to the original hearers, right? These these were living tools. They they didn't uh, rank enough to even be addressed or be considered or be talked to. Um, I just wanna put that out there and we're definitely gonna get back to that, but keep that in mind. Um, So that's uh, historical, okay? And believe me, there's entire (laughs) reams that can be written more about that. Uh, but I want to move on, for time's sake, to to biblical context. Um, and so I talked earlier about that that overarching plot line of of scripture. Um, and what do we know from that? We know that all of humanity were image bearers of God. We all have inherent worth. That's a Christian idea. That's something conferred by God. He is a creator God, and everything that He creates. That, that bears uh, his image, has inherent worth, okay, and dignity as one made by God. We know that sin entered the world and that human structures, uh, as a result, they're infected and broken, okay? Sinful world, sinful people, the, the ways that we organize and the ways that, that we uh, get around in life, they're inherently flawed and structured, uh, flawed and, and broken, I'm sorry, structures. Um, we also know that God cares about justice. Um, we see this uh, in many places, but, but just for reference uh, for this purpose, we see it clearly in Psalm 68. Um, God's a champion of the oppressed. Uh, he's the defender of the widow. He's the father to the fatherless. Okay, we see this constant theme throughout scripture of, of God um, having a heart for those who, who are disadvantaged, those who are poor, those who are powerless. Um, so that's some of that, that overarching, right? We, we, we take that, that, that passage and we look at it in the, in the light of the entire narrative and, and structure of scripture. Um, in the more immediate context, we need to look at the progression of Ephesians. And this is where we have the advantage of, of preaching sequentially through this book. Uh, when we preach sequentially, Um, You can see, hopefully, as a church body, how these ideas build on one another, okay? And so Ephesians starts out, and Paul begins, right? He doesn't begin by by giving commands on on how to live. He begins by emphasizing our salvation by grace through faith, okay? This is the foundation that everything is built. So no matter how far out and, and, and all the implications that flow from that, it all starts from the fact that we are all saved by grace, okay? We bring nothing to the equation, okay? So the most accomplished, the most powerful, the least accomplished, the least powerful, we all bring nothing to the equation. That is essential to know and keep centered, keep, yes. <laughs> I thought about it. I really did. It was, it was there. Um, it is essential for us to, to keep that front and center, okay? With that foundation, having been justified and now at peace with God, Paul then moves on in Ephesians, um, and, and he shows us that we're called into community as the church. Okay, we're, we're called um, to be together, to be the bride of Christ, to be God's chosen people that he has redeemed. Uh, we see that church, it's meant to be diverse with many parts. We're meant to be uh, all equal in worth and dignity, but we're showing off God's wisdom in our diversity, okay? He's not just aiming at a certain subset of humanity. All, right, because we bring nothing to the equation when it comes to salvation, that diversity shows the emphasis on God's grace, okay? And so all different races, all different socioeconomic backgrounds, all different ages, slave, free, all of that comes together in the church to show and display to the world God's wisdom, okay? Having, right, so we go from that salvation. We go to, to calling together this diverse community. Once in that community, we're called to grow and mature. Okay, Paul, it's what I was talking about before, that, that putting off our old way. We, when, when the default condition of the human heart, the worldly way of wisdom is to kind of get ours, right? We, we, we scratch and claw to try to get meaning, to try to get worth, to try to matter, okay? And when we encounter the gospel, we're, we're brought to this place of, of permanent security, where we matter in our known and loved and accepted in all of our brokenness by God and given that, that worth. And so, growth and in, in maturity and in, in growing in, in Christ is, is learning how to to stop listening to that worldly voice that tells us to, to scratch and claw and try to uh, accumulate power and try to, to bend things to our will, and we can, we can let that go. And we, we, we put off the old and we embrace with our spiritual, with our new spiritual hearts, with our new sensitivity to God, that we are our servants, that, that we're sons and daughters of, of a king. Like we have a new identity, and that process is, is lifelong. And it's calling us out of that worldly wisdom, that, that old way of thinking and embracing this new uh, logic in, in way that the kingdom, um, that, that God sets it up among his people. So, right, salvation, community, then we grow. And so uh, having established that, Paul then goes on, what does it mean to live this way? And, and, and he, he talks about the need for, for self-sacrificial love and holy living. Okay, in establishing all that, then and only then does he turn his attention to submission. Okay, and, and we talked about it last week, and it's continued, the thought continues into this week. And we know submission's difficult because it's infringing on our, our self-definition and, and the ways that we want to do what we want, how we want to do it, that, that old worldly way of thinking. And in God's people and in his church and in this new community that he's building, there are roles, okay, and there are relationships, okay? Um, and, and Paul's bringing meaning and definition into how those roles are meant to interact with one another, okay? And so we see um, in this, the, the back half of chapter five and into chapter six, w- there's four different ways that, that there's submissions put out there. First, it's, it's we're to submit to one another in the church, so we're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In some ways, this is the most radical one, um right we have in the world there's there's all kinds right there's there 's rich and poor there 's different races there 's different genders there's different um occupations there's different all kinds of things and in the world, the way those relate to each other th- there's there 's tears and in church right it 's possible for for the slave owner to have to submit to the slave okay <laughs> That's a very different orientation for men to submit of women in in a pure relationship right uh for for right for for powerful ones to have to submit to to less powerful ones all to god's glory according to gifting in the church okay that's a very different way of living um paul goes on to talk about wives and husbands right which we talked about last week um in wives to submit to husbands husbands to love wives as christ loved the church he's giving definition to the to the relationships okay children and parents, children are to submit and to obey their parents. And yet there's the instruction for fathers to not provoke their children, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, okay? And then we finally get to slaves and earthly masters, okay? So that's, that's uh, all of that that context. That's all of this reorientation. That's all of this reimagining of drawing people out of this worldly wisdom way of seeing it and bringing them into God's family and God's people in the new way of relating to one another where we put ourselves down or we put ourselves to to death even to glorify God. Okay, it's no longer about scratching and clawing for meaning. It's about glorifying God. I said earlier I was going to grab it and then eat it, and I chickened out, so, um, yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Um, one more shit, yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, let me gather my thoughts again. I felt like I was speaking too fast again. Um, yes, so Paul's showing a new way for God's people, um, we all start from that place of, of honor and grace. We all submit to God. That's that's lingering over all of this, okay? Um, and each one of those relationships that, that I spoke of runs counter to the natural way of the world as it existed back then, um, which is to, honestly, elements of that persist today. Um, to please oneself and to get others to please you, okay? And Paul is specifically addressing those who do not have power in that culture. He's addressing wives, okay. Husbands at the time had incredible power over wives, Uh, children, okay, fathers, especially parents, but especially fathers had an amazing um, amount of coercive uh, power over their children. Um, And then slaves, Paul's addressing slaves who were powerless, who had very, very, very limited rights um, at the time. And in dressing them, he's challenging that accepted wisdom of the world. He's telling the church that things are different in God's family. It's not about the ability of the powerful to bend the will of the weak to please you, okay? It's, it's not also, I'm sorry, <laughs> it's also not a directionless free-for-all. God has a structure, okay? And he intends for the thriving of his people. And he's altering the dynamic Um, between communities in general, between husbands and wives, between parents and children, between, uh, at the time, slaves and masters, those in authority and those under authority. That's the dynamic in in that big sense that he's altering, okay? Uh, And these are all part of the same extended thought. Okay, so having covered the other relationships in in previous sermons, we're going to turn our attention specifically to these verses related to, to slaves and masters. Yeah, I feel like I keep emphasizing it, but it bears repeated emphasis. Paul's teaching, I- it's challenging and undermining the broader cultural mindset towards slaves as subhuman tools. In keeping with the rest of his teaching, Paul's urging the church to adopt an eternal mindset, okay? Not just an earthly one. We have an eternal mindset, and we have an earthly mindset. And the gospel changes everything. Okay, including our mindsets. And so as we turn our attention to this passage, we see in the four, Paul addresses four verses to slaves. Um, In verse five, they're called to be obedient as to Christ. In verse six, they're called to behave as servants of Christ. In verse seven, they're called to render service as to the Lord rather than men. And in verse eight, they're called, that. Uh, they're, they're told, they're instructed, they're comforted with knowing they will receive good from the Lord. Um, and the reason I emphasize those things, I want you to see the, the, the Christ-centeredness of, of Paul's instruction to the slaves, right? It's, it's not just, here's the new way, do it. He's, he's uh, drawing them uh, to, to, to that eternal mindset. He's bringing and infusing worth um, to their daily lives. Um, and Paul also has three principles for, for masters, the other side of the equation in verse nine. They're called to, to do the same to them, meaning the slaves. Uh, it's a call to, to show them respect, to show them dignity, to live as if they have worth, that they do matter. Um, the masters are called to, to stop threatening. They're called to, to not misuse their position of authority to issue threats of punishment, okay? and. Um I found this quote from a, a theologian named John Stott um, very helpful. He says, "Threats are a weapon which the powerful wield over the powerless. And a relationship based on threats is not a human relationship at all. So Paul forbade it. Um, when we threaten, we we are using right the the threat of." Uh, of harm, the threat of a, a, a negative consequence to bend people to our will. And by forbidding it, Paul's taking a major tool out of the, the hands of someone who who wants to bend other people to the world to want to exercise that authority improperly. But also something that's very natural at the time for a slaveholder to have over a slave. Like we mean I can't threaten my slave. They're their property. They're a tool, right? It's a massive, massive change in thinking at the time. Um, And the reason for these requirements is knowing that Jesus is master of both slave and slave owner. Okay, there's no partiality between them. It levels, right, the difference. It brings them all in the same. Slave owners were used to getting their way, but they should not expect and they will not receive favorable treatment in Christ. There is no gap in the church. There is no gap in God's people. So I think you could see Paul, Paul's broadening their horizons. He's, he's lifting their eyes off of their immediate lives and showing them that the way of the world is not the way of God's people. Okay, for both slave and slave owner, okay? For the slave owner, it's like, okay, it ain't this good, <laughs> okay? It, it, you did not, right? It, this is not the way the kingdom's going to work. And, and for the slave, it's, it's not this bad. There's meaning and purpose, and there's good things to look forward to because of your identity in Christ. And I want you to, to think about that for a second, how difficult it must have been for the slave. You're working uh, in whatever job you have as a slave, taking orders, um, what you think and what you feel, it doesn't matter to anyone. Um, must have been a constant struggle with hopelessness, um, constant struggle with, with resentment, with, with just drudgery and weariness of, of just doing someone else's bidding on a day-to-day basis. Um, but then at some point, right, I- I if you're a slave in that Ephesian church, you, you encounter the gospel, okay? And, and where the world's telling you that, that you're a living tool, that you lack basic humanity, that, that what you think and what you feel doesn't matter. You, when you encounter this gospel, you know that you're, you're known. You know that you're loved and you know that you matter in a way that, that, nobody can take from you. Um, at the same time, coming to, to know and be reconciled to God, it doesn't mean that circumstances of, of hardship and suffering disappear. Um, this is the hard teaching, okay? This is the hard teaching. <laughs> in preparing this, I, I swear, I, I, kept trying to circle around it. Um, but we're called to be faithful and we're called to, to look things in the eye. Um, uh, I wish I could get up here and say that, that Paul just kind of issued this resounding command and, and slavery just immediately fell by the wayside. Um, this teaching acted a- as leavening and, and it introduced this idea of, of slaves as humanity that that over time festered and, and, and came and, and bloomed and led to the downfall of the institution. Um, but in the immediate sense, they were still left in hard circumstances. Okay, And that's That's the way it is. Um, We can have hard circumstances. We're sometimes called to endure suffering. We're sometimes called to endure injustice. It doesn't mean that we don't long for and fight and and, and work towards justice as God sees it, but we can be called to endure Um, in the way that we suffer glorifies God. Okay, the way that we do it glorifies God. It brings meaning and purpose to suffering to hard circumstances okay and there's a way where we can get bitter and jaded and kind of just walk um in our pain in jadedness um unaware of, of the hope that we have and there's a way of doing it knowing that that god's above all that that even our present hardships um real as they may be in this life um are mist compared to the eternity of riches that, that, that we have in Christ, of being known and being redeemed and being accepted. Um, think about how unappealing, and it, this pales in comparison, I, I know, um, but think about how unappealing it must have been for the slave owner, okay? They have a really good arrangement that, that their culture, that, that the worldly wisdom that they lived at the time ratified, that, that they stamped their approval on, this is okay. Uh, having someone do your bidding made their lives easier, and it gave them immense power with almost no accountability. Right? That's kind of <laughs> the, the human thing that that we, I- in our sort of sick way of thinking, that that tells us like that that's good. Okay, we we want to be able to bend people to our will to make our lives easier. Um, and in this teaching and in God's people, the gospel upends that. Okay. And it's saying that the slave has dignity and worth and has to be treated with respect, okay? It's limiting the freedom uh, of the slaveholder. Um, the slave's an equal brother or sister in the world and, and not to be treated harshly, okay? It, it's an instruction that the world's not putting pressure on you, but in God's kingdom, you need to lay down what you're able to do, okay? The world's not going to condemn it, but God's saying that's not the way it works in God's family, Okay? For the slave owner to to respond to that and to treat the slaves with dignity, to treat them with respect, to treat them with kindness, to treat them as a a, a co-equal brother or sister in Christ is laying down something that they don't have to, okay? That can only be explained because they understand they're ultimately accountable to God, that they ultimately are a child of God, that they ultimately live in submission to God, okay? That's also notable, Okay, it's a rearranging of this relational dynamic. And the change only happens with an encounter with the gospel. We worship a God who, while innocent, suffered, bled, and died for the guilty. Jesus knew what it was like to be mistreated. He knew what it was like to be weak. Okay, Jesus didn't have a prestigious family. He, he didn't come in with a prestigious name. He was a carpenter, okay, wasn't one of those occupations that, that conferred power and status, uh, he was a carpenter. Uh, he, he was homeless, he, he was an itinerant preacher and, and kind of wandered here and there never gathered riches to himself, okay? He didn't pursue political power. He wasn't able to go and, and, and change and manipulate and exercise power over people that way. Um, at the same time, right? Jesus, <laughs> like, he's Jesus, okay, and, and when he's in heaven, right, he has power and authority over all of creation. He knows what it's like to, to have the uh, right power, okay, not a delegated power, a right, true power. And how does he exercise that power? By taking the form of a servant, by coming and breaking into our lives. Uh, he doesn't do it to, to bend people coercively to himself. He dies for those who are weak and vulnerable, the needy, which is everybody. That's all of us. OK, the gospel reinterprets and reorients both sides of that power equation, OK? Both sides of, of that cultural and societal dynamic. Um, and God, God's glorified and he's made apparent when we act in ways that go against our self-interest. Um, the world understands self-interest, OK? The world does not understand grace. It doesn't understand returning kindness from hatred, okay? It doesn't understand disadvantaging yourself for no reward other than submission and obedience to God. And when we undertake those things, we're showing that we're raising questions that's confusing to the world where the only answer is Jesus. The only answer is that conviction of who the gospel says I am, okay? And that is where the beauty and the value comes in. So what does this mean for me today? Um, I hope you can see the heart behind what Paul's talking about isn't promoting or validating slavery as, a, as an economic system, the way it existed um, back in at the time Ephesians was written. Um, Paul's addressing the dynamic, um, I said this earlier, but he's addressing the dynamic between those in authority and those under authority. And he's showing and illustrating the the, the topsy-turvy logic of God's kingdom, okay? And the world says that there's haves and have-nots in life, okay? And the haves, they have money, and they have influence, and they have power. And the have-nots are weak, and they're poor, and they're exploited, okay? And the haves, they feel good about themselves. Um, They kind of won at the game of life, as a manner of speaking. and, and the have-nots, um, they're, they're oppressed and they, they can try to buck the system, but it usually ends in just more defeat and more powerlessness. Um, and God says that, that his kingdom is, is different, that we all have worth, okay? That there are no winners and losers. There are no haves and have-nots, okay? We have different roles, okay? But there are no haves and have-nots. There are sinners in need of grace, And there's Jesus, okay? God flattens all of those other distinctions, okay? And God doesn't promise change of circumstances, but he gives worth and meaning, okay? Um, And so while times have changed, and nobody here in this room holds authority over another, the way in the time of the Ephesian letter that that, that slaves had authority over a slave owner— that dynamic doesn't exist nowadays. So the glory of God, that, that's a good thing, right? It goes without saying. Um, but some of us here are in authority over others. And some of us here are, are in, in places where we might have authority exercised over us that is not just, that is not kind. Um, and so how we understand our place in that and, and where that comes in, it matters today, okay? Um, are you a business owner, okay? Do you have employees working under you? Are you a manager who gets to direct the affairs of people? Um, how do you see those in your employee, okay? You, you can see them, right? You can run a business or you can run a department in such a way where you are mindful of your bottom line, that you are mindful of needing to pay bills, that you are mindful of wanting to get that promotion. And so your orientation to those under you can be, can be harsh, can be... You would never verbally say that they don't matter, that they lack human dignity. You know better than that. But your orientation can be hard, can be using threatening language, can be trying to use them as tools to bring you what you think you need to be successful, okay? That dynamic exists today, okay? Um, Some of us are in positions where we have hard bosses, okay? Where we are in in hard jobs that, that don't have prestige, that don't have glamour that we are downtrodden, that we can be exploited, okay? Those jobs exist. Um, and we're called in that position. You can check out or you can try to sort of, you know, well, I'm not getting paid enough to care about this or your boss is, is sort of mean or harsh, so you just decide to kind of hit the slow down button, do just enough to not get fired, okay? And this passage reorients you you serve and you labor as unto christ okay you don't look and see uh, a boss who doesn't understand or a boss who's sort of uh you know not not promoting you or, or not being kind to you right as much as i wish that would be f- true for everyone but you work as unto the lord you you see the, the 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 sacrifice and you see the love of christ behind it you see that that you have meaning even if you're laboring in a way that isn't appreciated, and even if your boss is, is just always trying to, to mistreat you, and this is, I feel I need to be clear, <laughs> it's okay to change jobs, okay? This isn't locking you into this a dead end and, and you have to glorify God by just sucking it up, okay? That's not the message here. Change jobs, okay? Try to, it's okay to, to advocate for yourself, but the reality or the cruelty <laughs> of our fallen world is there's no guarantees. and. and but when you endure, and when you endure with hope, and when you return harshness with kindness, when you work diligently fi- despite the fact that it's not advantaging you, the only explanation for that is the love and acceptance of Christ. It's you choosing to deny the natural reaction that we all have in our flesh and embracing the, the response to the love and grace shown to us in Christ. Um, I can't possibly know every occupation here in this room and in every way that this teases out. Um, and that's what groups are for. Um, my hope is that, that this um, helps you to, one, understand kind of this, this difficult passage. Uh, I hope that wasn't for, for vain. Um, and, and how we operate in light of that. This is what community's for. This is the, the exact slices of, my goodness, I have this, <laughs> you know, person I'm in charge of. Am I exploiting them? Am I not? Am I being harsh? This is what community's for. Okay, get brothers and sisters who are also struggling, who are also thinking this through together, and hash it out, all knowing that we come from an equal place. Okay, Paul's progression is still our progression, that we're saved By grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone, we're called into community and we're called to grow. And part of growing is unlearning what the world is is bombarding us with. That's natural. Part of it is is learning to let go of power and privileges that we have or learning to, to suffer diligently and well and with hope, okay? And not to listen to what the world says and to understand them spiritually, understand them through God's logic, through kingdom logic, okay? That's always, we're always going to drift towards the worldly way of thinking, and we need our brothers and sisters in community. We need to talk about these things. We need to live openly. We need to live transparently for these things to be known and be spoken into, and we need to humbly see each other as having insight and worth, okay? You don't only look to those who you think are in the know. We all can learn from one another. It's the beauty of the family of God. We need each other. Amen? Amen. 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 Oh, Father, I, I thank you for this this teaching. I, I pray um, that we can learn, um, that, that we can just we all have those spiritual eyes god that we have a softened heart that we have the holy spirit showing us and and pleading for us and advocating for us and convicting us god and um we have access to the eternal deep truth um help us to to act in light of who we truly are as sons and daughters of a king and help us to endure where we're called to endure help us to show kindness and gentleness um, to those th- that we have authority over, and, and help us to show respect and, and diligence as unto the Lord when we're under authority, God. Help us to know how to, um, to advocate where we need advocating for ourselves and for others, uh, and help us to know where we just need to endure, um, but, but not in a way that's just self-will, but in a way that reflects a, an unshaking an unshaken hope and conviction, God, that Um, the riches that we have in knowing you um, far outpace anything this world can throw at us, God. We thank you for that truth. We thank you for that rest. We thank you that we don't have to prove ourselves and that uh, we're freed from having to manipulate others to achieve um, some kind of misguided sense of, of worth, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.